Good morning. Hello. There we go. Oh. <clears throat> Will all the chatty Cathy's on the east side of the building kindly take their seats? Thank you. So you ever, you ever have those recurring dreams? Yeah. The, thankfully, I'm, I no longer have the one where I'm going around the halls of my elementary school in my underwear, and I hope none of you have that one either. Uh, I, I found out actually on the, on the way in this morning, Kara had a dream last night that you, you may not be aware of this, but the New Hope pens can also function as magic wands as in Harry Potter. She had a dream in which uh, she and, uh, and Jason Hobson and, and um, Peter Johnson were evidently dueling. They were trying to get a prophecy away from her, uh, but she was able to seize their wands. And uh, all the while, uh, apparently, uh, Jared Daniels was making faces and uh, providing comic relief. So, so I guess it's not just me. But uh, I did last night have that dream again where you're coming toward the end of the semester and there's a class that you have not gone to all semester. And, uh, and either there's a test coming up or there are assignments due. And that's uh, uh, just, you know, and, and, and sort of you know that disaster is impending. I think uh, last, last night was the one where there are two weeks left, and uh, not only did I have to do all of this work for a class that I had not been attending, but I also had to complete a thesis and, you know, do stuff for two other classes. Uh, the thing with these dreams is that they, they set up drama. You know, that's why they have that nightmarish quality, that there's something horrible that's about to happen, and you don't see how you're going to escape it. And that's kind of the way that a lot of stories work too, right? Last night, the girls and I, I don't think this is related to the dream, but we, we finished watching the massive, obscenely extended editions of all the Lord of the Rings movies. We watched the last half of the third one last night. And think about the way that movie starts. I mean, it starts with a party, but then suddenly Frodo's got this ring, and he has got ring wraiths after him trying to seize it. And every step along the way. It seems like he's about to get captured or is he, he's about to get killed or somebody is about to steal it. That's why these stories grip us. That's why they're so exciting. We're there on the edge of our seats because it looks like everything is about to fail. And then somehow, despite all these seemingly hopeless scenarios, the protagonist is going to make it through. This, this is what an author does to his characters. And you may have heard reflections on that, what it's like to be a character. How would a character feel about his author who keeps putting him in those difficult situations? Maybe a little different from the Onion article where there was a, a video game character who complained about his heartless God who kept resurrecting him to these horrible, fiery deaths over and over and over and over again. But this is the sort of thing an author does to his characters, but it is emphatically not what God does to his children. He does not set us up in a situation where it seems hopeless and through the right combination of luck 
and pluck and well-placed violence, somehow we're going to get through. At least that's what Paul is trying to tell us this morning. We're in chapter 10 of Romans. As you recall last week, we talked about chapter 10, verse 4, that classic statement that Messiah is the goal of Torah so that there may be righteousness for all who believe. Messiah, Christ, is what Torah was leading to, what it was pointing to, what it was heading for, so that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. Paul's going to talk some more about that. Just by way of review, when you see law in Romans here, and Paul generally what Paul almost always is referring to when he says law is, is Torah, is the law that God gave to his people. He says Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by law. The man who does these things will live by them. That's from Leviticus. But the righteousness by faith says don't say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down? Or who will descend to the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? It says the word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are professing. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. What Paul's doing here, of course, is he's quoting Deuteronomy, chapter 30. You recall Deuteronomy, the last book of the five books of Moses. This is Moses' famous last words. The Israelites have been on their trek through the desert, They have been given the law at Sinai. They have been wandering, and they are about to go into the land that God has promised them. And much of Deuteronomy is a recapitulation of that law that God has given and the story that has been worked out to that point. And then what what Moses says here in chapter 30, starting in verse 11, he says, Now what I am commanding you today, is not too difficult for you. It's not out of your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask, well, who's going to go up into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Now, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. And, of course, this comes after Moses, in chapters 28 and 29, lays out for God's people just what the stakes are. Close your eyes and listen to this. Place yourself there. Imagine you're an ancient Israelite. Your people were liberated from slavery. You're about to enter into this land that God has promised. And here is what the man of God, here's what Moses says. If you fully obey Yahweh your God and carefully obey all his commands I give you today, then Yahweh your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. 
All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey Yahweh your God. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Yahweh will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They'll come at you from one direction, but they'll flee from you in seven. Yahweh will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. Yahweh your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. Yahweh will establish you as his holy people, as he promised on oath. If you keep the commands of Yahweh your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by Yahweh's name and they'll fear you. Yahweh will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground, and the land he swore to your forefathers to give you. Yahweh will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season, to bless all the work of your hands. You'll lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. Yahweh will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of Yahweh your God that I give you this day, and if you carefully follow them, then you'll always be at the top, never at the bottom. Don't turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. So what's Moses saying here? This is an if-then. If what, then what? If you follow God, if you obey, then? Then good things happen. Every kind of good thing. Prosperity and security and health and wealth. If you don't turn aside from any of the commands that I'm giving you today. If you don't follow other gods and serve them. But if you don't obey Yahweh your God, if you don't carefully follow all his commands and decrees that I'm giving you today, then all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. You'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed. The crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. You'll be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. Yahweh will send on you curses, confusion, and rebuke in everything you put your hand to until you're destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking him. Yahweh will plague you with diseases until he's destroyed you from the land you're entering to possess. Yahweh will strike you with wasting disease, with fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, with blight and mildew, which will plague you until you perish. The sky over your head will be bronze, the ground beneath you iron. Yahweh will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. It will come down from the skies until you are destroyed. Yahweh will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You'll come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven. And you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms on earth. Your carcasses will be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and there will be no one to frighten them away. Yahweh will afflict you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors, festering sores, and the itch from which you cannot be cured. Yahweh will afflict you with madness, blindness, and confusion of mind. At midday you will grope about like a blind man in the dark, 
you will be unsuccessful in everything you do. Day after day, you will be oppressed and robbed with no one to rescue you. You'll be pledged to... You, you almost get the sense that God kind of digs riffing on the curses more than the blessings. You know, the blessings are kind of short. We're, we're, we're just getting going with this. You're, you'll be pledged to be married to a woman, but another will take her and ravish her, and then you will be able to write blues songs about that. You will build a house, but you will not live in it. You'll plant a vineyard, but you will not even begin to enjoy its fruit. Your ox will be slaughtered before your eyes, but you will eat none of it. Your donkey will be forcibly taken from you and will not be returned. Your sheep will be given to your enemies, and no one will rescue them. Your sons and daughters will be given to another nation, and you will wear out your eyes watching for them day after day, powerless to lift a hand. A people that you don't know will eat what your land and labor produce, and you'll have nothing but cruel oppression all your days. The sights you see will drive you nuts. Yahweh will afflict your knees and legs with painful boils that cannot be cured, spreading from the soles of your feet to the top of your head. Yahweh will drive you and the king you set over you to a nation unknown to you or your fathers. And then you'll worship other gods, gods of wood and stone. You'll become a thing of horror and an object of scorn and ridicule to all the nations where Yahweh will drive you. You'll sow much seed in the field, but you'll harvest little, because locusts will devour it. You'll plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you won't drink the wine or gather the grapes, because worms will eat them. You'll have olive trees throughout your country, but you will not use the oil, because the olives will drop off. You'll have sons and daughters, but you will not keep them because they will go into captivity. Swarms of locusts will take over all your trees and the crops of your land. The alien who lives among you will rise above you higher and higher, but you will sink lower and lower. He will lend to you, but you will not lend to him. He will be the head, but you will be the tail. All these curses will come upon you. They'll pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey Yahweh your God and observe the commands and decrees he gave you. There'll be a sign and a wonder to you and your descendants forever because you didn't serve Yahweh your God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity. Therefore, in hunger and thirst and nakedness and dire poverty, you will serve the enemies Yahweh sends against you. He'll put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. And imagine, you're an Israelite standing here and this just keeps going. That Yahweh will... Bring a nation against you from far away, from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down a nation whose language you will not understand, a fierce-looking nation, without respect for the old or pity for the young. They'll devour the young of your livestock and the crops of your land until you are destroyed. They'll leave you no grain, new wine or oil, nor any calves of your herds or lambs of your flocks until you are ruined. They'll lay siege to all the cities throughout your land until the high fortified walls in which you trust fall down. They will besiege all the cities throughout the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. And because of the suffering that your enemy will inflict on you during the siege, you will eat the fruit of the womb, the flesh of the sons and daughters Yahweh your God has given you. Even the most gentle and sensitive man among you will have no compassion on his own brother or the wife he loves or his surviving children. He won't give to one of them any of the flesh of his children that he's eating. It'll be all that he has left because of the suffering your enemy will inflict on you during the siege of all your cities. 
the most gentle and sensitive woman among you, so sensitive and gentle that she wouldn't venture to touch the ground with the sole of her foot, she'll begrudge the husband she loves and her own son and daughter, the afterbirth from her womb and the children she bears, for she intends to eat them secretly during the siege and in the distress that your enemy will inflict on you and your cities. It's getting a little awkward here, isn't it? Yeah, and he's not done. If you don't carefully follow all the words of this law which are written in this book, if you don't revere this glorious and awesome name, Yahweh your God, Yahweh will send fearful plagues on you and your descendants, harsh and prolonged disasters and severe and lingering illnesses. He'll bring upon you all the diseases of Egypt that you dreaded, and they will cling to you. Yahweh will also bring on you every kind of sickness and disaster not recorded in this book of the law until you are destroyed. You who are numerous as the stars in the sky will be left but few in number because you did not obey Yahweh your God. Just as it pleased Yahweh to make you prosper and increase in number, so it will please him to ruin and destroy you. You will be uprooted from the land you are entering to possess. And then Yahweh will scatter you among all nations from one end of the earth to the other. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. Among those nations you will find no repose, no resting place for the sole of your foot. There Yahweh will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing and a despairing heart. You'll live in constant suspense, filled with dread both night and day, never sure of your life. In the morning you'll say, oh, if only it were evening, and in the evening... Oh, if only it were morning, because of the terror that will fill your hearts and the signs that your eyes will see. Yahweh will send you back in ships to Egypt on a journey I said you should never make again. There you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. So these are the terms of the covenant that Yahweh commanded Moses to make with the Israelites there in Moab, in addition to the covenant he'd made with them at Horeb. These are the terms. This is the deal. And Moses summoned all the Israelites, and he said to them, Your eyes have seen all that Yahweh did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to all his land with your own eyes, you saw those great trials, those miraculous signs and great wonders. But to this day, Yahweh hasn't given you a mind that understands or eyes that see or ears that hear. During the 40 years that I led you through the desert, did your clothes wear out? Did the sandals on your feet wear out? You didn't eat any bread, you didn't drink any wine or other fermented drink. And I did this so that you might know that I am Yahweh your God. And when you reached this place... Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out to fight against us, but we defeated them. We took their land. We gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. In other words, God's got history with you. God has demonstrated to you his mercy. God has demonstrated to you his power. God is uniquely in a position where he can make these kinds of claims on you, where he can make this kind of offer, but tell you what the terms are. So carefully follow the terms of this covenant that you may prosper in everything you do. All of you are standing today in the presence of Yahweh your God, your leaders, your chief men, 
elders, officials, all the other men of Israel, together with your children and your wives and the aliens living in your camp who chop your wood and carry your water, you're standing here in order to enter into a covenant with Yahweh your God, a covenant Yahweh is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm you this day as his people, that he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'm making this covenant with its oath, not only with you who are standing here with us today in the presence of Yahweh our God, but also with those who aren't here today. You yourselves know how we lived in Egypt, how we passed through the countries on the way here. You saw among them their detestable images, and idols of wood and stone, silver and gold. So make sure, make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from Yahweh your God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. When such a person hears the words of this oath, he invokes a blessing on himself and therefore thinks, oh, I'll be safe even though I persist in going my own way. This will bring disaster on the watered land as well as the dry. Yahweh will never be willing to forgive him. His wrath and zeal will burn against that man. All the curses written in this book will fall upon him and Yahweh will blot out his name from under heaven. Yahweh will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for disaster according to the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. Your children who follow you in later generations and foreigners who come from distant lands will see the calamities that have fallen on the land and the diseases with which Yahweh has afflicted it. The whole land will be a burning waste of salt and sulfur, nothing planted, nothing sprouting, no vegetation growing on it. It'll be like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which Yahweh overthrew in fierce anger. All the nations will ask, why has Yahweh done this to this land? Why this fierce, burning anger? And the answer will be, it is because this people abandoned the covenant of Yahweh, the God of their fathers, the covenant he made with them when he brought them out of Egypt. They went off and worshipped other gods and bowed down to them, gods they didn't know, gods he hadn't given them. Therefore, Yahweh's anger burned against this land so that he brought on it all the curses written in this book in furious anger. And in great wrath, Yahweh uprooted them from their land and thrust them into another land as it is now. The secret things belong to Yahweh our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow the words of this law. But wait, there's more. When all these blessings and curses I've set before you come upon you and you take them to heart wherever Yahweh your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to Yahweh your God and obey him with all your heart, with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then Yahweh your God will restore your fortunes. He will have compassion on you. He'll gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there Yahweh your God will gather you and bring you back. He'll bring you to the land that belonged to your fathers, and you'll take possession of it. He'll make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. 
Yahweh your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. Yahweh your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You'll again obey Yahweh and follow all his commands that I'm giving you today. And then Yahweh your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. Yahweh will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your fathers. If you obey Yahweh your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of Torah and turn to Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That's the setup for what Moses says when he says what I'm commanding you today isn't too difficult for you or beyond your reach. What I'm commanding you today is not God being a jerk and setting up an impossible path so that you can fail. What I'm commanding you today isn't too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love Yahweh your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase. And Yahweh your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and if you're not obedient, if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You won't live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love Yahweh your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For Yahweh is your life and he'll give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Was this good news or bad news when Moses delivered it? It's good news. I mean, he's giving this news to a people who had been enslaved for hundreds of years, had been liberated from captivity. Apart from what they were able to plunder from Egypt on their way out, they've got nothing other than the shirts in their backs. And he's going to give them land, which means in ancient economic terms, he's going to give them capital resources. He's going to protect them. He's given him his, them his Torah by which they can live well. Most importantly, he has promised to hold them in a special relationship with him. This is good news. Unless, of course, you have no interest in obeying him unless your preference is to do your own thing, to go your own way, unless your preference is to go through the motions, to 
say the right blessings on yourself and to offer the right sacrifices at the right times and to make sure you show up at church on the right days and make sure that you do a few good works so that people notice that you're being a good guy, but your heart's not in it. In other words, if for you, being part of this deal is simply a matter of going through the motions, well, that's bad news. Because as the history of Israel showed, that doesn't work. I think that's what Paul is talking about when he says at the end of chapter 9 of Romans, he says, what should we say, that the Gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness by faith, but that Israel who pursued a Torah of righteousness hasn't attained it? Well, why not? Because they pursued Torah not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. They tried to obey Torah for the sake of obeying Torah, not by faith. And so it didn't work. And so, as we read earlier in Romans, in chapters 5 and 6 and 7, what happened with Torah? This beautiful, remarkable, wondrous gift to God's people by which they could live. What happened to it? Well, what happened to it is that Torah got hijacked by sin. And that which was to be for our good ended up being used against us. I think that's what Paul is talking about when he says in chapter 7, my brothers and sisters, you also died to Torah through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who's raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the flesh, the flesh aroused by Torah, those sinful passions were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from Torah so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Now look, don't get me wrong, Paul says. Am I saying that Torah is sin? Absolutely not. Honestly, Paul says, I wouldn't have known what sin was except through Torah. I, mean, I wouldn't have known what coveting really was if Torah hadn't told me not to covet. But then sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. Apart from Torah, sin's dead. But once I was alive apart from law, once the commandment came, spring, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death for seas. Sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. Like a parasite, it hijacked Torah. But the Torah itself is holy. The commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Don't think for a minute, Paul says, that the problem is with Torah. The problem is not with Torah. The problem is with us.
because the problem isn't, isn't Torah. The problem isn't what God has given. The problem isn't the relationship that he established. It isn't the covenant that he has cut. The problem is sin. And so this raises the question as we read these verses in Deuteronomy where Moses says, this isn't too hard for you. I'm not giving you something you can't handle. Is this all a setup? Right? We asked that question back in chapter 5 when Paul says the Torah was added so that the trespass might increase. Is this all a setup? Is this all just designed to trap us? Is God, in other words, a jerk? Well, the answer is yes and no. No, God's not a jerk. And yes, it is a setup, but it's a setup not for us. It's a setup for sin. The problem is sin. And the answer is Jesus. Because the story Paul is telling here is of God concentrating all of the power of sin right there in Torah. If sin is going to hijack Torah, God says, fine. You can hang out there. You can be a parasite there. But guess what? When Torah gets fulfilled, when it is fully satisfied, when it comes to its proper culmination, its proper fulfillment, in whom? Jesus. Then sin gathered into that one place can be dealt with, can be defeated. Much like the power of Sauron is concentrated in the ring. When that is destroyed, his power is destroyed. And so what Paul is doing here, in verses 5 to 10, he's saying that just as Moses said of the law of Torah, don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven or who will descend to the deep. No, the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. What's Paul saying? Jesus is the one who is near you. You don't have to ascend on some heavenly journey to bring him down. You don't have to go searching for him in the depths. He is near you. And this word that Paul is proclaiming, his gospel, is quite simply that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be what? Saved. Be saved from all the curses that rightly come upon a disobedient people. You'll be saved from the separation from God that our sin engendered. You'll be saved from our guilty consciences, saved from the dysfunction between us, from our 
ruinous relationship with God's good creation. All this, all this salvation, God works. And he makes it available. He is not a jerk. All that we need to do to have this is to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, to believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And we are saved. For it is with our heart that we believe and are justified. It's with our mouth that we confess and are saved. For as the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. It was Christ who took our shame upon himself. We're about to take communion, and that's a reminder to us that Christ did that so that it would be possible for us to come, so that it would be possible for us to be saved, to be reconciled to the God we have offended. It was in Christ's sacrifice on the cross that God did deal decisively with sin, having gathered it all together in that one place so that when Torah was fulfilled on the cross, it reached its climax, its culmination in Jesus himself. So will you stand with me and recite with me the words of the creed which with the faithful churches throughout the ages we hold to as an articulation of our faith, a summary of what God has revealed to us in his holy scripture. After that, I'll invite you to come forward and take the elements. The red is wine, the white is grape juice, the bread is unleavened. Here at New Hope, ours is an open table to all who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is.